0: Connor, yo, are there?
1: Did we lose him? Shut up! That's a that's a hilarious joke, guys. I love that joke. Hilar? <laughs> you doubled down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Three dogs north. Is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put internally at your disposal. Word up, bro dudes. I got my first I got my first ever massage the other day.
2: <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Have you
1: ever guys ever gotten a massage before? Oh. You never have, Mike, you?
2: Uh, mm, not, I've never paid for a massage, not formally.
1: Okay. Yeah, I guess this was my first massage in that sense. I I used to get, Um, there was a massage therapist when I had CPE. Their office was right next to the chaplain's office. It was kind of like the corner of the people who aren't real doctors, but still help people at the hospital. So we would, they would have, like, at the end of the day, staff slots, 15 minutes or half an hour, where you could get... It's like one of those chairs where you put your face on the pillow, and she would give you a little back massage or whatever. So I'd had those before, but this was a full-on hour, you know, pay money. And, you know, I guess it's kind of meh. I, I don't think I'll go back. Really? Yeah, what? I think I... Well, maybe I'd go back if I was convinced that, A, I needed it, like I had some kind of back injury. I thought... Maybe I have tension. You know, sometimes I'll I'll just like rub my back against the corner of a wall and feel a knot in my back. <laughs> and I thought there's certainly knots in my back, you know, and it just didn't feel like this person who was, seemed like a nice person, it didn't seem like she really got into you know, like hurt me, like make it hurt and then it'll feel better. I always thought that that's what a massage was. But this was kind of like a spa thing. So, I don't think I'd do that again. Well, maybe you need to go to a chiropractor. (laughs) No, well, I don't have a bad back. So, and I'm pretty paranoid about chiropractors. I've heard, I've heard, uh, probably urban, mostly urban legends, but stories enough to scare me from going to chiropractors. I know people that have have gotten a lot of good out of them, but I don't know. I don't want some dude cracking my back Mm. and, and telling me, like, oh. And everybody I know that goes to the chiropractor says, Oh you feel great when you leave the chiropractor But it only lasts for like a day or two And then you have to go back I'm like hmm sounds like a drug dealer <laughs> Doesn't yeah, really fix actually, your
2: problem I
1: talked to
2: uh, A very well educated Very well trained PT Who did the freaking torture Kibosh on oh. me when I was Back home uh, Well down yonder in, uh, Wasn't this Central after your Illinois.
1: ordination Rob that you got put through Yes the, the that's Russian exactly right plank? Yeah
2: that's exactly right. And he said if if a PT is doing his job well, or like a chiropractor is doing his job well, you they should eventually like after two months you shouldn't see them anymore. Right. But that's the opposite of what I've I've heard every like all every chiropractor they, they just create some dependence where you have to exactly keep turning. So I'm you feel I'm skeptical. Like a pretzel,
0: if not cynical about that. <laughs> what spurred on the trip to the spa?
1: I don't know. It's kind of like the car wash thing. I'm like, frickin', I've always wanted to do this and that there's, you know, no reason I can't. I'm just going to do it. Set up an appointment and, and went. I know I knew uh, nice. I'd heard it mentioned a priest had said, Oh, I go to this place and I like it. And I thought, okay, well, good enough for me. I'll try it. And I did because that's what I do now. I was at Yo, the, what? uh, I went to go see a stand up comic with, uh, another priest of mine the other night and. Uh, it's one of those things. I've actually never seen a stand up comic. I've been to many concerts live, but um, I, I don't think I've ever been in like stand up comedian live. It was very fun. But the guys right behind us had obviously been drinking, and it was like their Friday night, and you know they're away from their wives, like 40 something, untucked button down shirt and jean blazer, kind of crude. And uh, whatever, nice enough guys, but they'd have a few too many beers. You could smell it, they were loud. Every joke had to be commented on, you know, like, oh, you know, that joke was about, you know, how wives are annoying or something. And he'd be like, oh, dude, your wife's annoying. And you'd hear it and be like, ah, guys, just be quiet, you know. (laughs) And the two guys behind me and uh, Jamie, who I was with, were just talking. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but they could you could hear that they were talking and it was like they were right in your ear just going. (laughs) (laughs) And you could hear what the the comedian was saying. But it just, I couldn't get over the fact that you paid all this money to sit here and this guy's only going to talk for like an hour, you know, and you've gotten up already twice to go to the bathroom or get more beer and you're going to sit there and talk during the comedy, you know? And so, you know, what I would probably have done normally would just be stew in my juices and get mad and have it ruin the show for me. But I turned around and I go, hey guys, could you not talk? And the guy just looks at me like, kind of stunned, like, "What?" I go, "I can hear you talking. Could you stop?" And I was worried. I, you know, this is the kind of thing. You're down in the city. These guys are drinking. I don't want to get punched in the face. But I, <laughs> I was trying not to be a jerk. I wasn't like, "Uh, you're really annoying me, guys. Uh, you're being rude." You know, I didn't accuse them. I was just asking, bro to bro, a favor. Could you not talk? And they stopped. So that's what I do now, man. I go to car washes. I tell. Drunk dudes to stop talking. I get a
0: massage. Whatever, man. I'm you living my like life. Such <laughs> a crotchety old man. Good <laughs> Lord, like, it's whoa,
2: dude. It's really funny you said that because at the lunch yesterday, uh, a number of the folks that I ate with from the parish were uh, seniors, were elderly women, and one lady told a very similar story, except she was at the opera. And she had season tickets there and nobody had been drinking, but she, uh, would always bring a Jolly Rancher to suck on at the show. Mm. And I guess like when the show ended, they had opened up her and her friend that always go together. They have, yeah, like year round tickets. The show ends, the guy in front of her turns around and, and like very clearly upset, very distraught. And he goes, "You've ruined every show that I've ever been to here with <laughs> your crinkling wrapper. Every show oh, you, you open up the same thing and I can never focus. You've ruined every show I've been to." And
1: she was sitting there like, "What?" <laughs> like Wait, does she crinkle the wrapper the whole time or just at the beginning when she opens the No, Jolly she Rancher? just opens it and then eats it. Like she wasn't even
2: aware of this being a thing. Okay. It and uh, the, apparently this guy who knows maybe he has season tickets or, or like however that works and <laughs> has been going to all these shows and sits in front of her and she had no idea that this was happening but i as I, so I just told her like you know all that could be remedied if he just turned around and asked you right like hey could you not crinkle that or i see you every week here <laughs> could you just like eat it before you get in super simple uh mm-hmm. Instead of waiting until the end of a show for like four years or however long, you've ruined And then Exploding <laughs> on her
1: exactly for eating
2: a Jolly Rancher like that's not unreasonable. Mm-hmm.
1: I thought you were gonna say the like the cl- clicking around in the mouth of the jelly, the hard candy against the teeth. That would annoy me probably if it was quiet. It's something yeah. about stadium seating too. I people would like eat popcorn sometimes in stadium seating, and if it's a quiet part of the movie, you can hear the. Like the fingernails at the bottom of the bag, it's like and it's right in your ear, the person right behind you. You don't realize how right next to your a person's ear you are. Um like your knee is next to their head. But yeah. I think I don't think I'm being that much of a princess in the pea. Like that the opening of one rapper at the beginning of a like multiple hour opera ruined your life. <laughs> it seems a bit melodramatic. Me. well but
2: the thing that i that i love about it, like when you just turn around and just ask somebody right is it kind of fixes everything
1: well and it humanizes <laughs> the person too you know i looked at the guy's face and realized this isn't just a fratty kind of guy that i would be afraid might punch me in the face but also kind of despise from a distance now i can look you in the eye and you know you're not my favorite person in the world right now but we have this bond like i asked you a favor and you did it for me and I feel a little bit self-conscious now turning back around to listen to the show, but whatever, you know, you made a human connection. But I think to your point of not saying anything, you know, a lot of times we do this to avoid conflict or confrontation or whatever. We just end up with these people that, you know, live rent free in our heads. Like we just have this, this specter of a person, the Jolly Rancher lady, you know oh i hate the jolly rancher lady she was ruining all my opera tickets jolly rancher lady you know that's what she is like if you just turned around and been like hello what's your name maud could you stop eating hard candy at the opera it really annoys me (laughs) or not even say that just be like could you please just eat your candy before you come into the theater yeah you know it's
2: very very simple very simple yeah i don't know for some reason it must be this avoidance of conflict or i don't know maybe we like to stew in it or we're just not aware of it. it.
1: I don't like it. No, I, I do it to no avoid the conflict. Skew.
2: Brimmer, this is. I'm going to speak on behalf of Brimmer. Do it. He would say. He would say, "Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but uh, like you know what you're going you to expect. You know what to expect. Yeah, so you can control it, which is comfortable.
1: Mm. Like so you, you, you don't like the stewing, but you know you, you're safe in it. See that? Yes, exactly.
2: So it's like it's okay to be. Uh, unhappy because that's like your thing and you can control it so mm-hmm. you can always be unhappy but th- what I think and I, I think this is actually much more common and uh, I don't want to say I noticed it in the seminary but I wonder if it's present in the seminary is unhappy people like to find something to be unhappy about
1: yes they do
2: and I, I don't know maybe you could say they create a scapegoat to say like oh that's why I'm unhappy
1: or sometimes and have you ever they, had a conversation with somebody where you just you try you know that like this is going to turn to something negative because this person always complains and always talks about something negative and I you come in and be that. like hey isn't it a nice day today yeah freaking need some rain though gosh <laughs> it hasn't it rained did. in a while you know like anything a sunny day can suck Because I (laughs) have my life has to always suck because otherwise I don't have anything to complain about, which means I have nothing to say. There are people like that. Unfortunate law.
2: Yeah. I I don't know if I've done. Well, I'm sure that I have. Yeah. But I've also done the, I know if I say a specific thing to this person, it will get them going. Mm -hmm. And like, (laughs) I kind of want to get them going and join in, which is really pretty slimy of me. Like I want to complain but I don't have the cajones to complain on my own, so I'm gonna get them going, and then I can kind of jump in on it. I definitely have done that. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then it's not—you've kind of abdicated responsibility. Like I'm not the one that started this rant or this uh, this vent session. I I just kind of like started oh, the ball rolling, yeah. but then I can hitch a hitch a ride.
2: Yeah, but I think I think a lot of people are unhappy, and so you can just pick out unhappy things that yeah that, that cause it. There are a and lot of people who free. are
1: happy too. There are a lot of people that are very happy. I've I've been visiting um, a man. Did I mention him? Uh, up where my parents live, A friend of my mom's, the husband of a friend of my mom's. And I think you talked about seeing him once. I don't know past that. Yeah, name. I went and saw him yesterday. I've I've probably seen him five six times over the past few weeks months, and uh, he's dying of brain cancer and. Yesterday, it was like, can't talk, not eating, um, sort of deathbed yeah. stuff. And it's it's really tough, but talking to the wife and, and everything and having talked to him and like him never complaining once and really kind of being a happy person that prefers to joke around, but also mm. talk about the deep stuff. Like one of the things he, ke- he kept telling his wife why he liked me coming by when she kept asking my mom to be like, hey, if Connor's in town he stop by and see, because she's not Catholic. He is, but not really a churchgoer. But he liked that I would just be like, so how do you feel about dying? You know, and he would say, watch your language. I say, what do you mean? He's Whoa. Like, he's like dying. You don't say that. But then I would hear later that he liked that I didn't beat around the bush. You know, he wasn't hmm. he wasn't a, a baloney sauce, baloney saucer, if you will. Um, so I don't know. I'm impressed by that. You know, the the ability to kind of see the positive, and I mean, there's some honesty too in his conversations. Like, this really sucks, and it doesn't feel fair. And you know, he's in his early 60s, but this age of my parents, you know, seems very young to me. Yeah. Um, kids are my age or younger. Uh. So yeah, people, Some people are unhappy. Some people are really happy, and I don't think the circumstances really have that much to dictate it people in very poor countries i mean your haiti situation that's part of the reason that those mission trips are so overwhelming Is not just that you're seeing the poverty but the 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 glory of it you know the, the amount of human joy that can shine through really dark circumstances and then on the in the converse how we could just live in this miraculous technology, this cushy life and just be whining all the time, you know, which I'm very much a perpetrator of that said whining. In in a way, I'm whining right now. <laughs> whining about whiners. <laughs> right. Whining about whiners. Yeah. <laughs> That's meta. Bremer
2: would be stoked. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man, I just swallowed some latte into the microphone. I have to cut that out. Dang it. Start mm. it over. Let's start, start it over, boys.
0: Yeah. What are you guys going to do? Any first th-
1: this week's? Or What were you going to say, Rob? Any, I was going to oh, say. Oh Well,
0: when you were uh, talking, I don't know what ma- exactly made me think of this story, but it was a couple months ago I went out to lunch with an older, I met him, like, man, my first summer of seminary, I think, and he's an old uh, retired attorney in Springfield, and him and his wife, they're just awesome, awesome people. And anyway, I've kept in contact with him throughout the years and I met up with him for lunch around Christmas and it was cool. They took like went to one of their old it's kind of like I, I hadn't heard of it in Springfield but it's a nice nice place for lunch and it's kind of like this like their generation crowd like they've been going there for years and years and so it's just a fun like kind of old school place and had a good visit and then he saw a friend of his um, yeah old older guy sitting um like a few tables away from us and this guy has lost his wife in like the last year or something and has been having a real hard time with it. And uh so this guy I was with, he was like, Oh would you mind going and, and meeting him? You know, just saying hey, like I know it'd mean a lot to him and all this stuff. Kind of like framing it like because I was a deacon about to be a priest, it'd be like really good for me to go and meet him. And it was I mean, this guy that I was with just put on a clinic of like pastoral counseling. It was so, so profound to see of like starts talking to him. And I mean, you can tell this guy is like in rough shape from losing, just very lonely, like having a very rough time, starts crying. And like the guy I'm with, like starts crying with him and just and but the end of this, like one minute exchange has like has the guy laughing. And and it was a was simple and you know, simple thing. And then we're walking back. I literally don't think I said a word besides like nice to meet you, like you're in my prayers. And the guy I'm with is just like patting me on the back. He's like, Oh, thanks so much. Like I know that meant the world to him. Um mm-hmm. uh, blah, blah blah. It was it was crazy. But I was just I just thought I was like, that was like a year's worth of pastoral care and counseling classes, getting to see that. Just watching him. Just watching this guy <laughs> mm-hmm. like do what he did in that moment i mean he's a retired attorney like he's never had anything formal. He's it's just a good guy doing that like looking out for for his friends um so i don't know what made me think of that exactly maybe it's just talking about like those experiences with people and um yeah it was just the notion of like it, it, this is just a cool guy i think in a lot of contexts this guy to be around him like he's almost 80 and still just like rocking at life like rocking it i mean just like a young mind like very inquisitive kind of adventure spirit and like just doesn't he doesn't let opportunities like that pass him by and you can tell like that conversation that conversation was the fruit of the last like 50 years of his life like he hasn't let those conversations and those opportunities pass when he saw it and he's like i'm just gonna go over and talk to this guy for two minutes and I'm just going to try to get him laughing yeah. and, like, tell a couple old stories about his wife and how great she was. You know, she was her friend, too, and um, she was his friend as well and yeah. all that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, it was so cool. It's
1: funny mm-hmm. the things you remember. I mean, I I went and tagged along on a couple of visits with, you know, older priests and <laughs> and stuff, and they were kind enough to – you feel a little bit like a third wheel, Mm-hmm. But you can also be kind of a fly on the wall. I don't know. People just kind of give you permission yep. to to be there because, oh, yeah, it makes sense. You're a seminarian or you're a deacon or something. Yeah, be here while I cry in front of this person, you know, and have this intimate mm-hmm. conversation. But one thing I remember uh, a priest mentor of mine doing that I'll never forget. He <laughs> He took me to visit this one lady. We were just kind of out on a trip. Seeing people bringing communion to folks, uh, the homebound in his parish, and he's just a really great priest, like one of one of the greats that I really admire. And he would just kn- he just knew everybody that was praying, like who was shut up in their house, and he goes, "Oh, you know who we should see before we go back to the rectory is this one lady." He goes, um, "As a you know, as a friend of mine would say, if you got her praying for you." Your ass is dipped in butter, <laughs> which was <is> like this <laughs> this old phrase, I guess, which meant like you got it made. You know, you're, my dad would say you're in Fat City. Um, so anyways, I was, you know, thinking, okay, this, this one must be really holy or saintly. We just go over, it's just this little first floor apartment, uh, right off the street on a corner. We go in there, lady by herself, um, very humble dwelling just sitting there in the front room with a cane uh and she oh yo know, you know sit down father and you know nice to meet you seminarian we just get to talking it was like you said maybe a five minute exchange but i remember the cane was right in front of uh father mark who was talking to her and he like he just rested his hands on it and kind of leaned as he was talking it was just like a uh, not something he was thinking about, just an absent-minded, um, you know, resting my hands or fidgeting, you know, with the cane. Yeah. And I just thought it was, I looked at it and something about it communicated such comfort Yeah. and friendliness, you know, like it wasn't, Hey, I got your cane. Huh? you know, it, w- it was just, here's this thing right in front of me and it doesn't bother me that you you know, you have it. And I, you know, I know you trust me enough to just kind of rest my hands on your cane. Yeah. I don't know what it was about that, but it just, and I have tried to have that kind of comfort and, uh, easy friendliness with people and not like crossing boundaries, obviously, but
0: just like opening up the not, fridge and popping, you know, <laughs> right?
1: Watching. Like hey, do you mind if I watch a movie real quick? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm listening. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> no, no, like you're not. Your name? You know, people can be very self conscious about stuff like that. You know, yeah. The the toilet seat in the in the bathroom for, with the rails on it, or or whatever. You know, when people are elderly and sick,
0: and just to make it not a big deal. But see, so much of those exchanges are. It is experience. Like there is. I mean, there is something to, like, the experience of being in these situations for years, you oh, know, or whatever, hard situations, whatever you call it. Um, but part of that is just, like, just a self-confidence or knowing who you are in it or whatever. I don't know what exactly it is, but it reminds me – I've I've heard Paul Porter say some idiotic things in the time I've oh, known same, him. same, dude. But one of the most profound things I've ever heard him say was I ask him – about because hennessy father hennessy has had a big impact on porter and i asked him i was like man what is it about like father hennessy like why do you always go to him etc why is he just a man i mean we talked about father hennessy on the cast before and porter was like i honestly think it's just that hennessy has lived as like a committed disciple intentionally every day for the last like 60 years of his life and it just like hasn't it just gets in your bones after a while that like every day he's woken up and like intentionally practically like chosen to live as a disciple and you just know who you are uh but just like over the course of time what that does it's kind of the whole like i don't you know um like the slow erosion of like a grand canyon or something like that versus like this great blast of grace or something Mm -hmm. uh but it's it's very real stuff. I don't know. I'm just kind of jamming, like thinking back to that exchange I had with uh, my buddy in yeah. Springfield. I mean, it was
1: it's a consistency thing. There was a there was kind of a yep. meme a while back. This video of a guy I don't know who he was, but um, he was talking about millennials. Did oh yeah, guys, I, I, I think Cartier yeah, saw that yeah, or showed that video right, and how it was a I think it was that or another video by the same guy. Talking about how consistency is what makes you good at something. It, what makes, it's what communicates love to your beloved, you know. Um, it's what yeah, makes you excellent at work. and makes you have a happy life and uh, comfortable in different situations. It's not, you know, overnight. It's not like the Matrix where you can, I know Kung Fu, you know, all of a sudden because you uploaded a program to your brain or some life hack just made your life awesome. Every day you have to get up and, and do something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you look at Hennessy, and that's that's it. That guy's gotten up every day and done not the same exact thing, but he has, in his bones, like you said, become a disciple through consistent practice of it.
0: Right, and it's but like I guess my maybe the insight for me is like thinking about it in this context is, um, just how like free we are in our choices. Every day of like, again, my friend in Springfield, this guy that put on the clinic um, for me in like a pastoral sense this day, like, you know, he could have not done that, like not lived that way for the past 40 years of his life. And he'd still be a good man and like love his wife and, um, you know, like be loved by God and all this stuff. But he would not have been able to do what he did. And it's just like, I don't know, there's something to to that. Like, our choices just matter. Like, and our little choices matter a lot.
1: Mm -hmm. And,
0: like, we have a lot of them in front of us every, like, every day. See, the thing that
2: I I think is really interesting about that interaction and is, like, not to, to, to analyze it or break it down too much, but similar to you, Father Connor, where it's these little things that really make the interaction authentic and make it a like a real person to person back and forth like i how do you present yourself in this way that says hey i'm actually listening and i care about you and like i'm i'm here for you um but also be comfortable and present yourself in a way that like allows the other person to open up And I, Baron would talk about it quite a bit. Like a good conversation is one that you lose yourself in. And almost everybody that goes into a hospital room or visits somebody that's dying, unless you've done it a ton, you are hyper self-conscious. Yeah. Uh, And so you can't, so like, I think that's why a lot of the really good chaplains that I would see, uh, um, in the hospital or like just spending time with, with, Elderly folks who have been there before and seen it and done it. And I remember watching my mom and my dad, just how they would interact. Um or we would help out with um folks with disabilities or different mental handicaps, and they were light they were just unbelievable at it. Mm-hmm. And I would just watch them and see like, how is my dad leaning on that wheelchair so much? Or like mm-hmm. how, why is he um, like joking in that way, like I would never think to do that because I was I would be so self conscious. Um, but I, I think it comes like what you said. You have the freedom to forget yourself when and it, like get outside of yourself to the other person if you have this obviously confidence in who you are. But then this consistency where like I've I have done this before. This is a unique interaction, but like uh, I've gone out of my way for forty years to have a tough conversation like this and I haven't shied away from the pain of a difficult interaction the uncomfortability of an, of a difficult interaction um yeah I mean in a lot of ways it's like uh, it reveals a life well lived where that guy's probably done something like that a ton of times yeah hundreds of times you know that it gives him the freedom to forget himself in that conversation, which is why he actually kicked butt at it. Mm-hmm. That he had the, you know, that guy could touch the cane and lean in and um, yeah, like be a, a close human being to a soul that feels isolated to everybody else. That is, a, that is a gift. So that skill, whatever that is, like at the heart of that interaction there, I don't know, it's fascinating, but I, I think it does take a lot of intentional little decisions sitting in like terribly uncomfortable, painful spots. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, it reminds me of uh, something I probably quoted before on the cast, but this uh, article on first things I'll put it in the show description um, in defense of immortality starts out with this quote from William James as a poet. Um, as he was getting older they asked him if he believed in the immortality of the soul and he said yes um, well not really but as he's gotten older he started to believe it more and they said well why and he said because I'm just getting fit to live or something or I'm just figuring out how to live hmm. and I mean it's not exactly a metaphysical or logical necessity that just because of that then the soul must be immortal but it does seem like a waste to just arrive in old age at finally knowing how to be in the world, like knowing who you are yeah, and feeling comfortable in your own skin to then just kind of go off and be annihilated. There's something to that. Um, obviously we're not Pelagians, so it's not just life is not just a project to perfect ourselves, but there is a, oh, yeah. there is a, that slow. Um, I can't think about the, that Grand Canyon analogy without thinking about this movie that somebody made me watch about, basically young earth creationism that was all about how the grand canyon wasn't made over millions of years but rather through one catastrophic flood and the (laughs) just i can't (laughs) think about it now the colorado river just slowly slowly you know eroding the grand canyon to make this beautiful things like no that's that's just something the devil makes you want to believe so you don't believe in the word of god um (laughs) uh what was i saying yeah getting fit to live no i think that i remember it's not pelagian
2: is what you were saying
1: yeah and i remember going into hospitals and feeling nervous even my first year of priesthood after having been through the seminary at cpe and all this stuff and great advice i got from father tom byrne once uh about cpe show up and don't run away like just those are the two steps and then just see what happens and like often you will you know you have to plow through the awkwardness which is one of our catchphrases a lot of times and get over that self consciousness, but slowly it evanesces and you, you become more yourself and more confident to be able to respond and like actually focus on the people in the room rather than, oh, what am I supposed to say? This is so hard. But I would, I still sometimes like, I'll, I'll go into the hospital and think, oh gosh, what am I going to say? And there's this person dying or whatever. Um, but I do feel, I notice over the years and having done it week in and week out multiple times, you go up to the hospital. Get in the elevator and you just you're just present you know same with preaching in some ways like you get up there and you just give it you're less self-conscious you're not less hanging a lot of pressure on yourself like this has got to be a home run or or i'm gonna you know feel terrible about myself and it's just a form of pride and narcissism like uh, all that fear and i think the same thing with the turning around and telling those um bro dudes to shut their yappers padre i wish you would shut your big yapper um you know getting over those discomforts or or that sort of self-consciousness to to really do what's right you know to be able to interact with other human beings in the complexities and the unpredictability of it all and remain yourself you know so by the time you're old, you can be like William James and say, now I'm just finally figuring out how to live. Like in any situation, I don't know what's going to happen or how people are going to respond, but I can be myself, you know, and I'm not afraid.
0: Yeah, I like that foundation of like being old and in a sense, just having figured out how to how to live. I, I like that. That's really beautiful. Because um, I was thinking just when you're talking about um, there's like all those scenarios, too, if like. I don't know. Just it's easy on the flip side, yeah. When you're just like learning how to live, I guess, to be kind of pompous in moments as well, and like be totally self assured when like I frankly should not be, you know. And um, and I guess that's just like all part of. I I've just found that to be like all part of it for me. Of like these very humbling moments too, when you look back and you're like, oh man, I was a jackass, Mm -hmm. like just big time um or whatever like you just you know like can be so presumptuous or like one of the things that irks me so bad and I'm sure I do it too but it's like I'm just the whole thing of like oh I'm a Christian or you know I've I've given my life to God so like I'm entitled to all this other stuff you Mm -hmm. know or to have this be easy or that be easy um I mean that stuff like seeps in big time as well kind of like on the flip side of what we've been talking about but I guess if you if you do, like if you have that telos of like a life will live at the end of your day, it's like, you know, I guess the wisdom there that you consistently hear like from the people that I really respect like at that like state of life is like they still don't have it figured out and they're not perfect and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But like they're pretty damn good at it yeah. in my book, you know, um, which Dude, is cool. This is it, yeah.
2: Thank you, because the, there was something running through my brain that I've been in, in my heart since you since you started talking about visiting that guy and, like, what's my place there and kind of trying to figure out what exactly is happening with that, What sounds like a very profound interaction. Uh, lots of, yeah. But I, I was thinking of the scene, I don't know if you all remember it, from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird with uh, their Go neighbor. <laughs> their neighbor who is... A terrible lady in a lot <laughs> of ways to, um, to, uh, oh no, Scout and I can't remember her. Jim. Scout and Jim.
0: No. Yeah, I gym? think Jim. 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 J E M. J E M. Mm Is it? Yeah, that's I thought name. it was just regular Jim. I don't think it's Jim. You are wrong. I thought Jim dude.
2: fell and broke his arm. Okay, well, uh, 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 it's right there, but I'll, we'll just let it be. We'll let it be what it is. I'm gonna look, look it up right is. now. Mocking, gem, his neighbor's name, name is
1: Jem um, Finch. Yep. Looking at <laughs> CliffsNotes.com right now. I'll put is that it in J E M. Yeah, of course, dude. You think we're what, wrong? What's his neighbor's name? The neighbor of Jem and Scout and Atticus yeah is it a wo- it's the woman that like yeah. is always wearing those fancy dresses is she's that- just
2: always yelling
1: at him for the porch. <laughs> okay let me see finch's neighbor
2: i mean this is kind of the names aren't really what's important but i'm interested now miss maudie is that it miss maudie yeah she's terrible to the kids and she's kind of terrible to uh to atticus as well Talking about like he doesn't know how to raise his children. They need to learn how to behave better. Oh yeah, and,
1: she's a and she's a uh, butinsky, as they say. She butt in. butts in. Oh yeah, in. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah, absolutely. She she butts in a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that's what a Budinsky is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, do you remember what Atticus has the kids do? I think they they cut maybe rose heads flowers off of their off of her uh, flower garden. Or maybe they trampled through some of her, her, uh, her garden. But Atticus makes them go and read a book to her. Oh and yes, And they go back there time and time again. And she's she an old lady, right? Nasty. Yeah, yeah. she's nasty to him. I mean, she's terrible to Jim and Scout, and Jim doesn't understand. Like, why do you let her say these things? Why do you let her do these things? And there, it's. A, I never. I feel like I never totally understood everything that was going on there because there was so much. But in the end it turns out that Atticus Finch knows he knew that she was dying and she was getting close to the end and she had been on pain medication for a long time. Yeah. and was addicted to morphine. And so like the times where she would go through mass withdrawals, he was sending his children in there to like in a sense help her out in those terrible times where she was in immense pain. And so she she kind of like took it out on the kids, but they helped her to die well, because one of her big wishes that she voiced to Atticus was, I don't want to die addicted to this morphine. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to die a free woman. Yeah, was it was essentially the point. Um, and again, like I never have really understood the everything that's going on there, but it did make sense to me that oftentimes when people are in pain and suffering, like our presence there. Even if they're nasty or even if they're happy or whatever, like we don't always understand our role that we're that we're playing while we're present there to people who are dying. But it was also very clear that without Atticus telling those telling Jim and Scout like that they needed to be there, they never they never would have they never would have gone on their own and been present to her, and they would have they would have run away. They would have never returned, and you know, whatever that did to those characters, I can't remember exactly the impact that it has on them, but I know for Jim, it had a pretty big one. Mm -hmm. Um, but that the wisdom that like uh, the children didn't have in and of themselves, that that's why you need guys like Hennessy and guys like Gregory Peck who have been there and done that and like, and kind of show you, show you the ropes when, like I you know, I rage around as a as a pretty arrogant dude thinking I know what I'm what I'm talking about all the time. Like mm-hmm. I, I have people that I have to listen to. And right. they're they're showing me the ropes um because I, I don't have the wisdom to do it. Um Yeah. And I think that's part of the wisdom of CPE and the formation program is um you just kind of say, like, hey, I'm gonna trust that you know what's best and uh you're gonna take care of me and form me. So I know that that was just running that was running through my brain. Hmm. I know
1: there's a lot that goes on in that scene there. But by the way, it wasn't Miss Maud. That was the pretty lady across the street that liked the kids. You're right. Mrs. Henry Lafayette Dubose. DuBose. It's Dubose. We're mm-hmm. looking it up on the internet. Yeah, Miss uh,
2: Maud. I never knew if Miss Maud and, and Atticus had a thing.
1: It seems like they did, but whatever. Yeah. No, no say. Well great deep cut, dude. That's a good reference to a minor plot line in To Kill a Mockingbird. I'm impressed. That's a great scene. Well
2: that was the that was the point. It was too impressed. I I'm wanna yeah. read that book again. <laughs> hey, do you have any other do you have any thoughts on that? Like does that resonate at all?
1: I don't know. I wasn't really listening. <laughs> ah, Brick. Were you looking at Spark notes? <laughs> No, I was looking at uh, the Wikipedia. Reading about oh, wow. uh, Mrs. Henry DuBose. No, I think your point is well taken that uh, we'd have to listen to people and not just think we know everything. Um,
0: The wisdom of the ages, man. It's good stuff.
1: And it gets a little meta when you have to listen to people who tell you to listen to other people. Like
0: Atticus Uh tells Jem to
1: listen to or basically witness without him even knowing it, witness her heroic um, penance, basically. Like there's no reason why she couldn't have just died addicted to morphine. But she wanted to break it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and oftentimes you just have no idea what folks are going through. Yeah, and that's where we started, isn't it? With miserable people, people that are unhappy. That's the yeah. that's the thing is you
0: really don't know why that is. Why you is it- can walk right by them, too. Like, that's the thing. You mm-hmm. just miss it so easily. I mean, that's your dude in the restaurant. Right. It's just, it's, that, that honestly is kind of like, you know. of of a Brammer question of like where's the fear or whatnot it's like that does instill some fear in me it's just like how easy that stuff is to miss yeah um yeah i don't know i mean but you do like you have sages in your life like you have these gifts of wisdom in your life we all do and you know kind of through what i think the grace of god like the three of us have you know some common factors in there not completely but it's pretty cool to be able to like relate to each other in that way and yeah, I mean, I'm just really thankful for him and just like these little lifelines that they give you or I don't even know who it was. And it might have been like reading Cardinal Dolan or something like that. But something I've been thinking about recently um, was just this line of like, I, I honestly don't know who this was, but I really like it. It's like if you're too busy to go to dinner, like with a family as a priest, then you're too busy hmm. Period. Yeah. And, and just like little things like that, that I don't know, you know it kind of like throw away in some sense, but make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the case for priesthood as a whole. Like mm-hmm. I, yeah, I would have no idea how, I, I, I don't even know where I would start. Yeah. I'm going to try to be a priest without anybody's help. But I think the same goes with parenting. Like so much of, uh, of parenting just that comes from learning it from, from your own parents. And just the importance of that. Yeah, preparation,
1: grandparents. Oof. Yeah. Well, do you guys want to hear a little Irish flute or what?
0: (laughs) If I'm too busy to hear a little too Irish flute, then I'm too busy.
2: (laughs) It's inevitable at this point.
1: I just made that up. That sounded really cool, didn't it? That was real cool. (laughs) Dude, I wish you had recorded that.
2: Three dogs north are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of
0: this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.